Hey everyone, Craig Rowe here. For some, real success is not defined by the money you make, but by the life you actually lead. So, this podcast explores the common human experience, those stories and journeys that many take on their pursuit of happiness and fulfillment. Some use their passion to overcome adversity, while others may use it to educate the world about their cause. And for those among us game enough, you may even turn your passion into a business. Each week, I sit and chat with those who have taken their interest beyond the realm of hobby and into the realm of cause or obsession. These positive, highly motivated and inspirational entities I like to call people with a passion. Particularly when I birthed it from nothing but a concept, and that's really children, isn't it? That's our, <laughs> that's what we do, and we commit our whole lives to um, a child, and that's exactly what I did. Um, and actually, one of the reasons why I sold the company as well was because of that, the the dedication I had given it for six years, and raising a child, a real child, is definitely way harder on different levels. Yeah. But I mean, man, I. I sometimes I say I near killed myself doing that. Today's episode is brought to you by Applaudable.net. G'day everyone. Today's episode I'm joined by Melissa Haupt, who is a female entrepreneur who about six years ago established her own product line and built a staff of around 20 full-timers and 2,000 sales representatives. Within a space of two years, she had created for herself a multi-million dollar company. And after six years, she decided with the investment that she created that she would sell that business. And she's now embarking on a new enterprise. The new enterprise is helping employees and employers increase engagement in the workplace. And this is something she's extremely passionate about, given her experience as a business owner and something that she practiced in the building of her former brand, Lillian. We're now going to sit down and have a little bit of a chat with a extremely passionate businesswoman, Melissa Haupt. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me here, Craig. No worries. I I always appreciate everyone's time, so thanks for being you here bet. and sharing your knowledge and experience with our audience. I want to start with a little bit about yourself and explain, firstly, I'll just say you're a businesswoman and you've been successful in building a business, which you recently sold, mm. but you've seen an opportunity to help others in the business and leadership space. Do you want to talk a little bit about your experience of running a business and why you're now helping others in this space? Mm, sure, yeah. So I started a company called Lillian um, back in 2013 and I saw a concept up in the US. I was living in the US with my um, husband and I just saw this explosion of this business up there with this concept and a business model. And I thought, well, if it's going to work here, it can work in Australia. Mm -hmm. And we'd always wanted to move back to Australia as well. So um, I thought, okay, let's do it. Let's jump in. Let's being me, myself and I, not let us. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, just um, saw the concept in the US and then started from scratch. I started with $15,000 and built it into a $4.5 million per year company, um, actually within two years. Mm -hmm. uh, which is pretty crazy. Um, so yeah, I learned a lot and I really felt like, you know, I um, at uni I did business and psychology and I've always had a heart for people 
and Lillianne was actually called um, Lillianne because it was the name of our daughter that we've never had actually, um, but it means pure blessing. And I really felt like um, everything I do is really authentic and I felt like this was um, a beautiful name for really in essence, even though we sold, we, we, it was a jewellery company, so we sold lockets, charms and, and, and chains. But I always said, we are more than about lockets, chains and charms. We're about empowering women. We're about being a part of something bigger than ourselves. So I guess the reason why I've kind of transitioned into empowering people and, and leaders of the world is because I have a, you know, it's an extension of myself. I have a real heart for people and and to be, to just for us to be living the best version of ourselves. Now, your reference there to calling it Lillianne because it's the female child that you never had. Mm. One of the things that I find, and I know Tom has had businesses, that's your husband, and I mm. recently spoke to him in, yeah. in the podcast, yes. thus the connection, which yes. I appreciate him suggesting that I sit down with you based on your business experience. He's my biggest cheerleader. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I got that from our conversation off camera. But uh, look, that whole concept is, I know because I have multiple sort of fingers in multiple pies and mm. I don't have kids, but I look at my business enterprises as kids because they're always wanting a piece of my attention. Mm. So to hear you suggest that you've named it after the child, technically it is your baby. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Particularly when I birthed it from nothing but a concept and that's yeah. really children, isn't it? That's mm. our, <laughs> that's what we do and we commit our whole lives to um, a child and that's exactly what I did. Um, and actually one of the reasons why I sold the company as well was because of that, the, the dedication I had given it for six years and raising a child, a real child is definitely way harder on different levels. Yeah. But I mean, man, I, I, sometimes I say I near killed myself doing that. Mm. Yeah. It, it's interesting because the, there has been analogies made about the growth and of the infancy of a business then you know it starts to grow and then it's in its teen years and they are the difficult years mm. um that's where you, you you're sort of looking at scaling and and whether you want to go down that path mm. and some people don't they stay in the infancy because of the fear so therefore they never evolve it into like the more adult stage of yeah. a business so stages of a business have been likened to the stages of of a, a child as well what you're most passionate about is you've been working in this like business to customer or business to client type mm, b2c space b, yeah. b2c space with your business you built up that you recently sold mm. but you're now recognizing from your experience with working with your employees that the employment engagement side of business is is lacking at the moment we identify so much with our work. It's kind of an extension of who we are while we're here. It says, you know, the first thing when you're at a party, it's like, hi, my name's Mel, you are, and you answer Craig. And then I say, oh, what do you do, Craig? You know, it's the first the first question we ever ask anyone. So it's a real identifier of who we are. So yeah, I think that there's this, this relatability of of who we are um, in the workplace and we can really relate to that. There's some statistics that you've shared on your website, which mm. we'll link in the description. Yep. Do you want to talk about what isn't happening and why you've chosen this space as an area that you believe needs work and that you can help businesses with? Yeah, there was actually a study done and a, um, an economist, he's studying this relationship between who we are as um, a person and our um, 
our output at work and it's funny you think what's an economist studying that for like the psychology of of humans in work Mm -hmm. but it makes sense you know the um the relationship we have at work and our output like i said earlier is really closely related and so and i've kind of been identifying this for a long time because i worked in the corporate world before i started in my own businesses and so i've been in leadership and i've been in leadership since i was all of 21 and i failed forward a lot i learned how not to be a leader in those early stages by being such a bad leader Mm -hmm. um and so um yeah so there's this um natural tendency i think for me because I just have such a heart for helping people and um, and because that essence of who we are is so closely related to to our work. Um, and the gap I'm finding in some of the statistics that you spoke about is on my website is that Gallup has done this research over many, many years and hundreds of thousands of employees across the world. Um, and what they've found is, is that 86%, that's a really big number, so 86 out of 100 employees, 86 employees are disengaged in the workplace. And that is a really big number and that's really startling. And so when I think back to as my own business, having my own business, how many of my employees were possibly disengaged? And I think the biggest problem is, is that as a leader, we're really unaware of that. Um, you know, it's happening right under our noses in corporations across Australia and New Zealand. And those statistics are pertaining to Australia and New Zealand, 86%. And of that 86%, 15% of those 86 are actively disengaged and what that means is is that actively disengaged employees will actually go out of their way to basically cause havoc in the workplace Mm. they turn up they're pissed off they really don't want to be there they're gossiping they're intentionally you know checked out in a meeting um they they do not want to be there and they are just causing havoc in the workplace so if that's a real statistic which it is you know it's backed up by evidence of what gallup has done in the states and around the world um, is that that's a real problem and it's com- it's costing companies a lot of money. And I found when I look back at my career and even as a leader myself of a company with 20 plus employees plus a sales force of 2000 mm-hmm. consultants, we had a dedicated trainer um, at my company and we taught a lot of leadership um, skills and so forth. But I look back at my career and the amount of leadership training I had yeah. in order to become a leader was almost none. Sure. And so what's happening is is that we're not um, we're not leading on purpose. We're kind of just letting it happen and people are failing forward a lot and it's happening where, you know, CEOs and executives are not aware just how disengaged their workforce is and how unproductive that is. Mm. So it's a problem in Australia and I'm sure it's international, but I, I will say this based on people I have spoken to on people with a passion that a lot of people with a passion that I've spoken to who are working in an environment under an employee have indicated to me constantly that they've had good mentors and this concept of of a mentor who can guide you through that process so what you're doing is actually providing that opportunity having your experience your broad experience now to provide mentorship around you know what you can do to improve engagement with your employees to get better outcomes and productivity for your business so do you want to talk to a couple of the strategies that may help businesses and leaders engage their employees yeah 100 percent. yeah so and, and that's a really great term is mentorship because um it all starts at the top you know culture is created 
from the top down. And culture has been said that um, culture is created either on purpose or by accident. And I see the same thing with leadership. So if you're not consciously, you know, the thing is, is that companies will, um, they will always be looking at the numbers around, you know, customer acquisition or average sale per customer, um, you know, all of those those KPI and metrics um, on balance sheets and P&Ls and you name it. But what companies are not doing is, is they're not ever focusing on the numbers around um, culture or developing a cultural strategy. You know, they're always developing a business plan or always developing a marketing strategy. They're measuring the ROI on marketing, but they're never developing a a um, culture strategy around okay what is the culture that we want to create here on purpose because the thing is is that culture will get created whether you do it on purpose or not and the same thing happens with leadership so no one ever sets at the beginning of the fiscal year you know what this is our marketing strategy this is our sales strategy so on and so forth um, and here is our leadership strategy this is how we're going to improve employee engagement because first of all they're not even aware that their employees are engaged Mm. There is there. It's happening right under the noses and not aware of it. Um, and so what um, there are a couple of things that are really important for employers to be able to start to identify. And that's what I kind of do with companies is we start to have a look at um, really simply what are the, the signifiers that are, that can tell you the levels of engagement of your employees? Because it's really hard to know. Mm-hmm. Are you able to provide a couple of examples of what those indicators may be? Yeah, they're actually really simple. And I've actually um, leaned on Gallup and their research because I don't have a research, an R&D team behind me to do any yeah, of this. Sure. And, and that's costs a lot of money obviously to mm, to be to able to that. find that information and they've spent millions and millions of dollars doing that so i really lean on what gallup have done um, and they provide a um, q12 questionnaire um, across and and they've refined it so um, running with that as a tool so it really identifies four different areas um, within the employee um, starting with their basic needs um, through to their individual needs the team needs um, and so there's there's different aspects of who we are because we don't you know who we are as an individual is important you know we don't separate ourselves we don't yeah, kind of sure. get to work and then yeah we, we do show up a little bit different you know um versus how we sit in sit in the couch in our pjs versus how we show mm. up at work but for the most part um because we're there so long um we're we're who we are wherever we go um and so there's some basic needs um that are identified and it's simple and it sounds really too simple but i've really found in business that it's the little things that you want to focus on and so it's little things like the basic needs are do i even know what my job is do i know what my job description is and i've got some really great examples of that where as an executive i've seen um, an executive who's directly reporting to a ceo that directive coming from the ceo was shifting every other day or every week because they didn't have a real strategy of how he wanted to achieve his goals that he would jump on the phone with that executive be like okay this is the directive this is what we're going to focus on and then three days later it would shift do you think that executive knows what their job is and i know that sounds really basic like of course you know what your job is but that's a really great live example where an executive who's responsible for i think they were responsible for a sales force of you know 75 team members they didn't know what their job description looked like because their direct report which is the ceo who's the guy who's steering the ship or female but in this case it was a guy 
was not clear on their own strategy. And mm. so it's little things like that which are really quite big where employees are rocking up to work. And here's the thing with disengagement. Employees will do just enough not to get fired. And that's what's happening across those eight, well, actually 71% because then the other 15% are actually like antagonizing other people mm. and, you know, trying to make make life health. well hell for everyone else yeah, yeah so there may be some people watching who had that experience where they're at work but they might be people that are poking their thumb in the side of the business i think we can all be guilty yeah. of that you yeah. know we're all kind of sitting there going oh i wouldn't do that but actually i probably have yeah so or, or and it could even not necessarily it could be any organization you belong to that there's a potential for that. So even mm. though you might love and be engaged in your business environment as an employee in what you do, so you're not in that, you know, 80, 84% that's disengaged, mm. you might be in another organisation um, as a volunteer or in another environment where, you know, you are that person and say, hey, well, okay, why? Um, yeah, so they're asking questions like, um, do you know what your role entails? Do you Are you given this, the equipment and the tools to be able to do that? Um, and then it moves on a little bit and it looks at, has someone identified your skills and mentioned it to you? Has someone given you some pos positive feedback in the last X number of days or months? Has someone talked about um, advancement? You know, and these kind of things sound really basic and simple. And it's like, of course, that's happening. But actually, when they re when they surveyed, they found that these simple things were not actually happening. And mm. I think that's a great example of the executive where I gave, where it's like, whoa, you would think that someone earning 100 grand plus would kind of know what their job entails. But that's the kind of leadership that's out there. Yeah, sure. And so if you've got a leader leading a company um, with, you know, hundreds of employees, and that's the kind of behavior that they attribute, um, then what kind what expectation do you have for your own leaders mm. um, beneath you so one thing that I think is is a potential opportunity for business is to if they're really engaging in their employees as leaders is potentially encouraging those employees to ask for the opportunities to be more engaged whether that be training or or involved in processes or even mm. just in feedback and yep. complaints. So you say it sounds so simple, but mm. and there may be a number of simple solutions. So while you're focused on this leadership down approach, you could almost, a good leader probably is looking for, yes, I'm leading, but it's really an employee up approach. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it does. And it's, it's interesting because when I'm with um, leaders and I'm doing a leadership course around how you can become a better leader, I'm always like, you know, well, whose responsibility is it for your, the, your engagement of your employees? And it's always directed at the answer is yours. Of course, mm. it's yours. But if I'm with employees and I'm talking about being engaged or disengaged in your workplace, and I, and I ask the same question because it goes two ways. It goes mm. twofold. Um, but, but the thing is, is that most people, we've learned in society to kind of we we turn up to a workplace and we are looking for the identifiers the key aspects of this workplace the people within it how am I showing up here how am I supposed to show up like what's the expectations is it okay to take a lunch break like is that even okay or is it kind of code that you, you eat at your desk and you kind of inhale your food so we kind of turn up as an employee to go okay oh this is how it's done here 
most of us are not turning up, particularly in Australia. I feel like no one wants to be the tall poppy. Mm. Um, we kind of we don't turn up going rolling up our sleeves and going, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, I've got my eyes set on this leadership and advancement and, and make, you know, that's making too many waves. So we turn up and go, how are things done here? Um, because then I'm going to fit in with that within that. Mm. So, it, yeah, it's an interesting thing um, that I've seen affect organisations myself where I feel if people have ambition, they should own it and tell everyone mm. because that within itself can fester if people think people are trying to because people we do have the tall poppy we syndrome do. here and and it does people don't realize how limiting it is it, when people start to get ahead mm. others seem to want to stifle them and you know keep them and so, you know and even say we don't do that here yeah and that doesn't yeah. allow allow for the growth of an organization it actually no. is a limiting thing and that's what i found from talking to people overseas is they actually engage um each other in growth now i don't know whether that's across the board it's still a culture but from what from people i speak to something that i've found is and even tom talked about it in his he's he because he's had a different experience he's from america so yeah and he's from the east coast as well which is different again and he talks about and others talk about mentors mm. and, and that really encouraging growth and there was one instance uh the list of 100 dreams i interviewed an, uh, an author and he was saying in his existing job he's a he's an author but in his existing job his boss basically said i'm prepping you to take my job in four or five years time wow that's unique hmm. that's really unique and but and like you said particularly in australia in fact the u.s um judge them as we do in australia um they have some of the most um engaged employees so i think that there's something that we can learn from kind of ditching this tall poppy syndrome thing that we've been carrying around for far too long it's like you know enough already and i think that if we are focused on the bigger mission that's at at, at play within our companies you know i know that some companies are about selling widgets and and that's their focus yeah. you know and they're focused on that bottom line and, and that's the culture they've created but there's plenty of companies out there that are about more than selling widgets they're like i said about being sell, selling more than lockets chains and charms they're about something bigger than that and i think that if the more you can engage your employees around that the better and if we can kind of all as employees turn up to our workplaces thinking about how can I contribute as opposed to, you know, this thought process of what can you give me first and then I'll see, you know, mm. I'll, I'll front. Well, you're only paying me, you know, 60 grand a year. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to give you. Mm. So interestingly, judgment is what can stifle people's growth, is worried about being judged is that something that you've identified in your your work that that that's you're seeing that as well that that's why employees are being less engaged is because they're worried about the judgment of their peers yeah that happens across the board in australia mm. um yeah for sure that's definitely a big thing i think that there's there's so many aspects to it you know that that's kind of one slither um but a lot of it really is about um kind of those those everyday things. And I think also too, the workplace is changing faster than it's ever changed before. There's a blended workforce that we've never had. You know, we've got the gen... Um what are we up to? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was just thinking of. Actually, well, let me come from the other side. We've got the baby boomers who are hanging around a lot longer mm. than, they, than they used to, you know, and there's a lot more females in the baby boomers 
then, you know, before they're coming back into the workforce, maybe they stayed at home um, with their kids, but they're coming back into the workforce. So we've got that end and then we've got the the new generation gen z that are coming in starting to come into the workforce now they've just come, they're starting to come out of university so you've got a real blended age um in the workforce and then you've got technological changes they're happening so fast people are actually a little bit afraid for their jobs they're like whoa i do this kind of task where um is technology going to overtake is, is my job going to be relevant in five to 10 years? That's how fast our technology is changing with AI and so forth. So we're seeing a shift where leaders right now really need to, I really believe because of those big shifts, I really believe leaders need to be conscious. They need to be, like I spoke about earlier, about having that leadership strategy mm-hmm. more than any other time before until now is it more important as is it is now to have that leadership strategy in place and just do leadership on purpose that's that's my kind of thing it's like have a bit of a think about you know the leadership strategy you have at your workplace um from the top down and um are you what what kind of skills are you upskilling your leaders around are you you know what kind of actions i always like to look at the actions the values you know the Obviously, the values have have importance in a workplace, but just that word, I don't know what, what you think about when you hear values, but it's kind of like, God, is it 1983? Like, we've, ha- we've had that word thrown around for so long, and you go into a corporation, it's five on the wall or seven on the wall or 12 on the wall, and you can't remember how many there are or what they are or what they even mean, because all they are is on the wall. Mm. So that's devaluing the word value there. <laughs> big time, yeah. But but yeah, look, I'm I'm big on standards. I think you have to have accountability. <laughs> so, but I think where what you're alluding to is is action. Just to have it there, isn't the same as actioning it. Like knowing it and doing it are two different things. Yeah, hundred percent. And what I like to do with with um, leaders in organisations is have a look at the actions and and think about what kind of actions you're putting in place. So. What, what I do with leaders um, in workplaces is we do a leadership strategy. I help them put together a leadership strategy and we don't choose 12 things yeah. that we're going to focus on. It's three to five. Mm-hmm. And real, like it could, it could be, it is always based on a value. So it could be commitment, integrity, whatever value that they value um, in their workplace, although they want to implement as a leader. Um, but then it's looking at what is the action behind that? How will I display that? Because then that's tangible. I can get behind that and I can understand that. And then I can display that for my team members and then they can, they'll can they know what commitment looks like. So it might be that I'm a committed leader because I display, um, you know, I do what I say I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, um, I, I, when I set an expectation of something that I'm going to do, I set that expectation and I say, how many by when? I say, I'm going to get this thing done and I'm going to get it done by this date. And then if I can't meet that, that timeline, I get with you and I make a new, new agreement. One of the biggest things that happens in leadership is this over-promising and under-delivering. You know, we talk about that a lot with the consumer. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, is that employees are doing it all day long. Of course, they're not going to... Um, meet the customer's expectations or over deliver on customer service because they're not even doing it with their direct report and our direct reports 
are not holding people accountable either. So you mentioned about accountability to the action. So it's two things. It's one, the expectation, setting that expectation. This is what it looks like with the actions beneath mm -hmm. that. And then second to that is um, holding people accountable to that, including themselves as leaders and owning up and go, you know what? I know I said I was going to do X, Y, Z by this date. I want to own that I didn't do that or I didn't communicate and check back in with you and let you know that I wasn't going to be able to meet that date. Mm -hmm. Because that's happening all over the place. So one of the things that you've done is a number of conferences. You've, you also do keynote speaking and you do individual mentoring. Mm. So there are and is opportunities for people who are leaders. If they don't want to attend the conference or the training or the keynote, that they can't touch base with you to get a one-on-one -on -one mentoring sure. situation yep. to, to help them identify how they can better engage mm. their their employees and the, how they can become a better leader themselves you know sure. where and i think that it, it's time to get to have a different lens on leadership and I, I feel like that's why i call myself the leadership futurist is is that i'm really looking under a different lens it's like let's flip leadership on its head a little bit it's kind of been done this way the way it's been done for way too long and it's yeah. not getting the results um let's look at conscious leadership let's look at leadership on purpose let's get a leadership strategy in place and have a look at not just these set of values which you know someone might write down in a conference and then throw away in the bin or <laughs> leave it how many conferences have we been to where you know might be the last one heading out and we see everyone's notes on the tables mm. um it's that real actionable leadership that i can take back into my workplace and and be better as a leader the the interesting thing we've found with the study that gallup has done is is that Actually, even though in Australia and New Zealand, there's 86% of employees are disengaged, what they've found is is that, and, I, and I'm not sure if they have a percentage around it, but what they've found is is that most people actually do want to be engaged. They're just, you know, it's a bit of a victim story. They're coming from no responsibility themselves, mm -hmm. but they're kind of saying, hey, actually, workplace, I would actually like an environment in which I can be engaged and be my best at work. Because that's yeah. one of the questions they ask as well is, do you are you provided the environment in which you can be the best you can be at your workplace and a lot of them answer no mm. and and they're good questions to ask and i think asking those questions of your employees is is probably the first step because i i know i've worked for a number of organizations a lo long time ago and i don't know that i ever did a survey or any sort of thing internally mm. where i was even asked you, you know are we looking after you as an employee right. it's automatically assume that we're giving you a wage so we must be yeah and you're turning up to work so we must be <laughs> yes yeah that's a really great notice Greg and that's exactly what's happening and that complacency it means disengaged employees and it's costing us millions of dollars and I mean I've seen workplaces where and and there's uh, again I should really remember percentages when I'm going to be start quoting statistics although I do have a favorite joke that 47% of all statistics are made up on the spot um, I have one that says three out of two people have trouble with fractions. <laughs> so we're both as funny as each, each other. other. Sure, that's going to get comments or laughs on this, but yeah, no, we're not comedians, that's for sure. I like to think I am. <laughs> um, but yes, there is a statistic, and I can't remember what it was pertaining to. Anyway, that's right. we, we might be able to come back to that anyway. That's okay. So you and your workforce that you had while you were running Lillianne mm. was primarily a female workforce mm. and how do you see and, and you were working to engage them you held internal conferences mm, and 100%. constantly learn like giving them opportunities to learn yep. not only about the products but about themselves yes how important do you think it is for females to 
be engaged to give them the opportunities to build their leadership skills? I think it's equally as important as males. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that there's any difference between whether a female needs to learn more about being a leader or a male. Yep. Um, I think what happens though, and remember I said that I failed forward a lot as, as a leader when I was very, very young in, in corporate. I worked for Australia's largest uh, travel agency mm -hmm. for 10 years. So I felt really fortunate to get that groundwork um, beneath me and, and really learn what failure as a leader looked like so that then I could learn what good leadership looked like. Um, um, what we do find, though, obviously, because there's this disparity between opportunity and there's actually been a study done in the States, which Melinda Gates talks about a lot because she's really pressing on this um, closing the gap between yeah. um, male and female. Um, and what they've found is, is that the disparity between wages is absolutely a thing. Like there are companies who are not paying because... In, in the workforce, what also happens is is that you get to say how much you want to get paid because first person who speaks loses, right? Mm. That's Negotiation 101. So they always get to go, well, how much are you thinking of getting paid for this job? Um, and what they're finding is that there is a disparity. Now, there's could be a suggestion that females are undervaluing themselves and I think that's a contextually cultural thing that we need to get over um, for sure. But there's also um, this study that's been done that they had a look at, okay, why is there such a disparity between how men are being paid and how women are being paid? And it actually wasn't women, it was mums. So what's happening is, is that women are having children because we're the ones that physically do. And then there's this old adage of us staying at home for a little while as well and part of that is a physical aspect as well mm. you know obviously with women they're probably breastfeeding so there's this physical as aspect of staying home with a child uh, for a certain amount of time mm -hmm. of course there's other solutions around that but what i'm saying i'm not saying i'm at not advocating either way i'm talking about what is here yeah. um and so what's happening is is that women are staying home longer they're sta they're possibly the ones that are taking maternity leave they may not even be parental leave for the mm -hmm. husband or the father rather um, to be staying home um, so what's happening over time is is that women are and then perhaps they're doing school hours to be home for their children and, and I'm not saying there's anything right or wrong with any of what yeah. I'm saying but what's happening is is that women are then disadvantaged when they're trying to go back into the workplace mm -hmm. because their male counterparts have stayed in their roles they haven't stepped out of their workplace to be able to um, to, to look after their children. Um, so they're getting advancements, um, they're getting promotions um, with more experience, with higher pay. So that's actually a big disparity of what the reason why there's that disparity between how men are getting paid and how women are getting paid. It's actually mums, which we have to figure out. That's a thing and we have to figure that out. And as a woman and as a mum myself, although I've been in business myself, um, and that has its own set of challenges with being a woman in, in business. And we could go all day about men versus women and equality, but that's not what this podcast is about. But what we're finding is, is that, um, yeah, a lot of my mum friends are having this real struggle with how to enter back into the workforce. So if anyone's out there thinking of a business idea, I think there's real space for being able to support women who are looking to enter back into the workforce. Hmm. Just a... Yeah. Top tip for the day. Yeah, we're, we're talking off camera a little bit about uh, employment and the that there's a big, or there's not necessarily a big move, but there is a shift in the way some people are looking at HR as opposed to looking at lists of information on a piece of paper and just finding out about people as people mm. and, and sitting down over coffee and, 
and just having a chat as opposed to oh what have you done and um, because ultimately you your employee is a person and mm. and what they're often done and we all done, we've all done it with our resumes it's highly embellished so yeah. <laughs> it's like you are selling yourself so yeah. it might be true but it's the wording sounds like you were CEO of the world's most successful company nine times out of ten. Yeah, that's it. And I think the other is true too. And I don't know whether this is, you know, I've never looked at any research on this, but I find in in real life experience, like I've looked at some of my male counterparts from my experience with the travel agency and looked at some of their LinkedIn profiles. And yeah. I was working alongside some of those male colleagues mm -hmm. and going, hang on a minute, we had the same job, but the way that you titled your position versus how I title mine is way different. Mm. And I think you know, I don't know whether this is a, a sexist comment or not, but um, I think that guys kind of don't have a problem kind of, you know, embellishing, but we tend to be the opposite. And, and again, there's always outliers, but collectively, I think women tend to kind of shy away from embellishing mm. or even maybe telling the truth. Yes. Yeah, but that and that may be come around back to judgment too, and that tall poppy syndrome, particularly here in Australia, yeah, that yeah. people are worried about that perception. Whereas some some blokes, I know when I was younger, and I probably still do, you, you have a degree of ego and confidence, mm. and I think that that carries you through your work life as as well. You feel confident, even if you're not. You have this delusion that yeah, potentially, bravado. yeah, bravado, yeah. yeah. And I think that there is, and and with leadership, I do think. Not all leaders possess those traits, but there are leaders that possess those bravado and egotistical and highly confident traits, whereas the rest of the workforce is looking at them going, you're, you're not as good as you think you are, <laughs> which, is, which is that same perception of what gets written on that LinkedIn profile. Yeah, yeah, see. that's it. And that's yeah. not to have a go at them, but, but the no. point is, is that resume and LinkedIn's almost an online resume these days. Mm. There is a sell there. You're selling yourself like yeah. you're selling a car or you're selling your your trinkets and you know your lockets and all those mm. sorts of things so yep. so yeah if you're good at selling yourself and we we alluded to that off camera as well if you're selling females need to sell themselves as well it's not all on the other side you know when it comes to opportunity mm. you need to state your value I, I find something that's really interesting there's a big discussion in the u.s with their politics around minimum wage over there mm. And, and one thing I'm very conscious of, and I'm always conscious when people come and guest, is is time is absolutely our most valuable resource as individuals. We have limited time here. We can walk out, God forbid, out the door and not be here tomorrow. Sure. And yet there are people in the US getting paid 7 or $9 an hour. 100%. That to me is the biggest insult mm. to the human race. Mm. And there's people in other countries getting a lot less. Right. What they're basically saying is your time on this planet that is limited, mm. and we talk about limited resources and mm. in, you know, uh, infinite resources, time is limited. And they're saying, which I find is an insult, you're worth only $7 mm. per hour of your life. Right. When you put it in that perspective, I think people need to value themselves higher than what, the world is valuing them at and it's tricky because i think commodities are it's it's become because of globalization it's become such a you know even with technology um the world is kind of flattened out so it's really easy for us to you know in developing countries they have products goods and services that they've never had before because of advancements in technology and transportation mm. and so on and so forth uh, i think commoditization has really shifted the way um 
that whole aspect of what you just spoke about because the thing is is that if you look at the gig economy people it sounds fabulous that you can have this time freedom and that's also shifting in the workplaces mm. before before i was talking about shifts in workplace um the gig economy and this whole work-life balance it's got we've been talking about that for 20 odd years yeah. work-life balance but it's really coming it's here like people mm. want flexibility and and that's another thing that they've found with um with uh, with disengaged employees is that they're they feel like they are not being heard or that they're because i think the world we've kind of separated the individual from their work individual for too long and i think that we need to remember that they are an individual and work is a component of their life mm. and so too is the rest of their life yeah. um so that needs to be blended but going back to what you were saying you know you can have a look at some of those gig economy websites um you know where people are farming out their experience whether it's um you know carpentry or you know, mm. even even um driving people around for whatever name yeah. company yes. there's no sponsorship going on here <laughs> um that you know we're we're i guess permissioning ourselves by doing those things we're selling ourselves out for a lot less just to kind of get the gig mm. um, which is not doing ourselves any favors mm. um, but i think that that's true because it's just becoming this it's 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 good on one hand because everyone gets access now everyone can put themselves out there and go you know i can do your books for you you know even if they're going to walk into an absolute schmozzle of of a you know i haven't done my taxes for five years and i've got receipts everywhere but you'll do it for 50 bucks mm. you know it's it's interesting um one of the things in a business i previously had i was charging hourly rates for a number of years and then i went to a menu style where it was just piece rate where it was like i do this for you mm. And you pay me X amount of dollars, regardless of whether it takes me five minutes mm. or, or an or hour. Or five hours. Or five hours. And because and, I knew roughly what the time was. And sure. it could take more than what I th felt it would too. It wasn't, it was IT. Yep. And, and I identified very quickly that this whole concept of linking money and time is a bad idea yeah. from an employment point of view. Yeah. Not everyone's in, in you know that position, but it's something that I noticed that millionaires and billionaires actually do is they mm. don't link their actual um, money and time. They'll have you do it as an employee, mm. but they're going to charge X amount of dollars. It's X amount of dollars for me to do that. Right. And they're not saying for an hour or whatever. It's just like, that's what it is. Yep. It's no different when you're selling a trinket. You're charging X amount of dollars for that trinket. But yep. our, our time, which is our limited resource, I just, I'm banging on about that a little bit, but I just thought I'd, I'd you know, raise that um topic while we're talking about business of something that I identified in in mm. my business when we're talking about how you value yourself that the people who employ you aren't necessarily working the same way as they expect you to work and while yeah you can't do a piece rate mm. like as an employee yeah. you need to be aware that you bring value to those businesses and you bring value to those companies that in some of those instances can run into the millions of dollars you're yeah. making someone millions of dollars mm. and they're not operating the same ways you meaning linking money to hours time yeah and that's yeah it is a mindset mindset shift and i think that it's challenging because it, to what i've found even for myself that being in business you know that sounds glorious and it sounds mm. amazing and while i've had that success with lillian and, and prior to that 
it it's it's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of risk and it doesn't always work mm. out you know i had entrepreneurial parents who were such an inspiration for me growing up yeah. and still are but they've had ups and downs with business mm. and then also personal things can come into it as well you know my dad had a really bad accident when he was only 30 um mm. and he was he had a business where he was working physically and so mm. you know life is what it is and it's challenging but i think what can happen is is that we can tend to kind of kind of get caught in the rat race and then big thing I l love talking about at the moment is because I kind of when I sold the business I also went through a bit of a midlife crisis I was mm. turning 40 and so that can kind of happen when you have a bit of a midlife crisis it was a good one though by the way you're about the third person I've spoken to recently and I'm in my mid 40s yeah and I've you know moved out of the IT space and into this space and and I've got a you know something happening on the side that's keeping me going while i build up a new business yeah but i've done all the questioning it seems like 40 seems to be this <laughs> number for all of us yeah where where we might have a passion for something and then we seem to be reassessing things and mm. still using all our experience and resources but maybe it's a reassessment and people stay with what they're doing and go no i really am this is where i am and this is who i am but but then there's we seem to be diverting and mm. around this midlife crisis. Yeah. yeah. So talk about that. Well, go into that. Look, I think we're I think we're one of the lucky ones. I think that um, or one of the brave ones, or or because it is very brave for me right now because I did sell my business and I am going into something new. Um, so that's that's quite a challenge, and not everyone can do that. So. I think that, and it is safe sometimes to go into a job and who knows, maybe that's what I'll do while I'm building this, mm. you know, because at the end of the day, we've got to pay our bills. We've got to feed our faces, right? So it's a little bit challenging to go, okay, midlife crisis, turn 40, have a new look on life and okay, that's it. I'm going to throw, throw caution to the wind and I'm going to, you know, just start this new thing. Well, meanwhile, we've got a mortgage. Meanwhile, we've got children at school. But I think what's happened in society though is, and this this may never shift. It could just be a thing. Um, but we tend to focus way too much about achievement and getting stuff. Like mm -hmm. the bigger the house you can get, especially these days, the size footage of our house compared to the number of children, a family size is just disproportionate. It's ridiculous. So I think that that's a problem as well. We need to kind of stop with this fast fashion. We need to stop, you know, thinking that we need all this stuff to prove who we are um, and to be a mirror of who we are because in essence we all know that at some point we're all gonna go somewhere else mm. and we can't take any of it with us so that's the kind of midlife crisis i had where it's like we sold everything sold mm. the business we mm. sold our block of land mm. you know traded the mercedes back in you know mm. just to mm -hmm. kind of step back a little bit and go is this what i really wanted because what i noticed is is that i had learned which it feels really encouraging and, and it's something that I think I'm probably even doing with our son TJ is that we're teaching, you know, you can be anything or anybody when you grow up. You can be anything you want to be. And success seems to be the thing that we kind of get communicated to as we grow up. And so this level of achievement in society is it's really important, especially in, in Western society. Mm. But what I noticed is once I had it, once I achieved it, I was like, there's no cheese down this tube. Mm -hmm. What? This isn't what I thought it was going to be. What have you been talking about my mm -hmm. entire life, people? It's not, it so, wasn't what I thought it was going to be. So the reference, I think, that sums up what I think most people actually are pursuing is that pursuit of happiness. 
mm. and what is happiness and how do we define it and I think people go looking for that in material yeah. things we need to redefine what and, that looks like and, and I think changing it from happiness to fulfillment just mm, that shift because yep, it's too. different because I, I did feel happy in, in mm. a beautiful home I did feel happy driving my Mercedes yeah. um, but there was no fulfillment so in that from a sporting perspective that, that Tom would probably appreciate when he watches this that's your husband he will watch yeah. it oh, mind you I haven't <laughs> watched all of his yet so better get on that <laughs> right. so um so there's a there's a saying we have when we're teaching athletes what's important now which is win mm. w-i-n and i think mm. what happens and what's happened at 40 is you almost step back and you go wait a minute what's important now mm. and the real winning comes from actually asking that question mm. is this what i thought was important mm. is it really that important mm. and then you start all the self-assessment the reassessment yeah. and the midlife crisis stuff and then you yeah. come out of it going with a with a clearer perspective nine yeah. times out of ten i would think some people may not but i know my experience asking those questions and i don't even think you realize you're aware of you're going through it actually you just mm. start to question everything yeah you do don't your you? friends your, yeah you know everything it's just yeah. like it's all these question marks about is this it's it, it's definitely a growth journey there mm. that some books need to be written on maybe from talking to people with a passion that might be the first book i write there you go yeah like it's something i'm seeing coming up multiple times and in talking Mm. to you to hear you say that and have the third it's almost like the universe speaks to you when you hear three people in three interviews all talking about that maybe it's because i'm speaking to 40 year olds at the moment maybe They've all gone through that same That's process. That's a flattering um, comment for Tom. Um. <laughs> well, I think he was one earlier that, but but he has that he has the mind of a young man. Doesn't absolutely. he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. he doesn't think his age, which oh, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, so he, and does not act his age either. No. In that he's really athletic and really healthy, and yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's a really healthy questioning, um, and I think it's part of the journey. I think mm. it's exactly what we're supposed to do. Some. I, I think it's really healthy, though, and, and the reason why I say that is to stop. I think that sometimes people will question it, but they'll continue going because they'll think they'll have that pressure of, well, I have this big house with this big mortgage. I have the children in private school, you know, and they feel a lot of pressure to kind of keep that mm. um, and a lot of society's pressure or just self-pressure. Mm. But what's also happening is, is that a lot of people are going, screw it. I'm going to downsize, you know, I'm going to go work around the world or I'm going to get a caravan and go travel around Australia or, you know, and it doesn't need to be that extreme, but I just think it's really healthy to question because I think that's part of our journey. I think it leads us to the next part of who we are as a an evolving consciousness. Yeah. So let's talk about if we're having this so-called midlife crisis, mm. we've got to then assume that there are people who are employed. So we come back to employment, employees mm. and they're and their satisfaction that obviously must be getting to this age as well. Mm, good where, point. Where they're going through these similar sort of questions. Yeah. And are we as employers addressing those? Mm, not at all. Not at all. Well, it, n- not in my experience. I don't, I don't think that's part of anyone's corporate business plan is to go, hang on, let's have a look at our workforce and divide them up and have a look at, that's a really good thought, kind of dividing up and going, okay, the needs analysis around a Gen Z that's coming mm. in or into someone into their 30s that's really pushing because you're kind of in your jive in your 30s. You're really, you've got some experience under your belt. You've got some promotions. You've got some confidence. You're just 
you know, hell for leather, you're just going for it. And then, you know, what about our 30s to 40s, still going for it? Okay, 40s. Well, let's have a look at those employees and going, how are we providing the environment for which they are? Sometimes it's really healthy to actually let some of those employees go Mm. and not try and hang on. Yeah. Um, and not try and facilitate growth within your company because mm. sometimes it's really healthy for them and that's going to be a win-win. If they're off going and doing something else at some other organisation, like I said, it doesn't mean you can throw caution to the wind and just quit your job, got to pay our bills, that's okay. But maybe there's something over here. Um, you know, I really, I really, I, I have the belief with my own personal experience that we're kind of born with a, a passion mm-hmm. within us and it can get nurtured, but I kind of feel like that's been my experience anyway. When I grew mm. up, I've always said that I wanted to be an entrepreneur or a backup dancer to Madonna. Okay. Yeah, that was a bit weird. <laughs> but what apparently I used to always say, Dad always reminds me now that I've been going through this midlife crisis, and maybe he's reminded me my whole life, but I haven't been ready to hear it. Yeah. He always, we, whenever we would drive anywhere, we drove everywhere because you didn't fly anywhere back mm, back mm. in the day. So we would drive everywhere for long hours to, you know, a holiday destination, whatever, or just driving around town. And back then we had tapes and dad would always pop in a tape. You know, we would we'd be like, okay, enough with the tapes. Let's put on the radio to listen to some music. But he, we would always listen to motivational tapes, mm-hmm. Zig Ziglar, you know, you name yeah. it. We were listening to it growing up, which I feel really fortunate about. Mm. But apparently I would always say, and I don't remember any of this, I would always say, that's what I want to do when I grow up I want to be a speaker mm. I want to be I want to be a motivational speaker yeah um, so I, I have a I have a take on that too mm. um, so interestingly I have asked people this on my show mm. this concept of child's play what were you doing when you were a child because my child's play has actually come to fruition to be stuff that I did as an adult interesting so i find it interesting so i when i like i can just rattle some of this stuff off but it was but there was always my child's play wasn't i consider normal (laughs) in the sense of um so you know i produced a computer newsletter at the age of 10 because my parents had a business yeah that's not normal yeah so and i sold it (laughs) for 10 cents and i used to just they had all the equipment the photocopies and that and so so and and then i later on did journalism yeah sure so I never thought of that as something that I would be doing. Mm. Um, and, and it wasn't, it was actually a, a counsellor who said, why are you good at this? Why don't you, you're writing for the school, you know, yearbook. Mm. Why don't you do journalism? I'd never even given a thought to it. Yeah, right. And then until it was said to me and I thought, you know what, I'm actually doing this. I didn't even realise and see it as that. Um, radio, I had a makeshift radio station in my bedroom as wow. around the same age with microphone my parents gave me the old record and i'd play the records and i'd record and i'd pretend to be mm. a radio announcer and i did radio and, and things so i had that yeah. experience and i coached soccer at the age of 10 i would coach eight and nine year olds oh, wow. like just because they'd ask me to yeah, yeah you know and i bought a book and i did all that stuff and that's what yeah. i went on to do with my life so i often do ask like what were you doing as a child and did that translate when you were older when you talk about finding your passion and pursuing it as a as a source of I guess income yeah so for me what I've done always feels like child's play it's like I never grew up Mm. and and I and I know not everyone has that experience but I'm keen that those who have explore that those who've turned their passion into a business Mm. I'm keen to know what they were like as a child and whether that's just an extension of their child's play yeah um well definitely my career 
options that I've chosen kind of correlate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll bet not the backup dancer of Madonna. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't ever explore that. But I think about that. So I was doing, you know, um, dance, you know, concerts in my living room. And then, I mean, I don't know if this is the story I've been telling everyone or myself, but I think I remember like charging people 50 cents to come and look at it. And it's like, mum's like, yeah, I saw you practicing. I'm I'm not going to pay you 50 cents. Mm. Um, And then, okay. So then there's also, I just really enjoyed being organized and I'm a really good operator. So I don't say that I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, The reason why Lillian was so successful is because I'm a really good operator. Mm -hmm. So I'm a really good COO better than a CEO. Yeah. Um, but was the but but underlying everything I've done has always been about empowering other people. So I think if I kind of yeah the child's play was there, but if I look a little bit deeper, the essence of because the thing can be an extension and 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 that's the play. But then digging a little bit deeper, there's this always been this essence of inspiring and empowering people Mm. always and you know yeah yeah so and i I think that that is important too to to consider if you're someone who's stuck in something where you're not happy potentially going back to your childhood and think about the things that you may have dreamed about Mm. being and and just taking that step and talking to the inner child and saying you know is this something that I didn't pursue because of judgment? Like you'd right. never become the dancer for Madonna, but yeah. maybe that was around judgment. Maybe right. because people wouldn't pay you the 50 cents at yeah. that point in time yeah, where yeah. you thought you were worth that. And mm. obviously they didn't see that value, but yeah. that doesn't mean that potential wasn't there. Right. So, so I don't know, but we tend to stop things, um, stop doing things based on, judgment but here's what i here's something i learned from radio mm. that i'll share and I'll, I'll try and wrap it up yeah um is i interviewed a number of independent artists and i used to play all sorts of genres of music and i never for the life of me liked half of what i played it was never about me and same as guests i have on my show mm. i don't have an opinion on what they believe or, or whatever because right. i'm not the audience sure and when i play music i wasn't the audience and what i found is people would ring in and then and i'd be hating a song and i'd be in my mind going oh you know like i'd be i would never say it but i'd be thinking this is just like rubbish but i play i gave them airplay that it was called the craig rowe airplay show the crap show so i used to play the music right and 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 people would ring in on the worst songs and they go oh what's this called and and i'm like i'm in my mind i'm going are you serious but i tell them and i'd give them the information they needed but but what it demonstrated for me is that, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Mm. So you might not have been the world's best dancer, but guaranteed somewhere, someone somewhere would have been entertained by you. Mm. And I find even with this podcast, I've had good comments and some weird ones which I take on board because the way the world perceives you is important. And then I've had great ones. So you get this spectrum of, so judgment's really a, a really uh, subjective thing based on mm. the person giving the judgment. Hundred percent, yeah. So, so to me, I think if you're limiting yourself by judgment of of others, then then that can stifle your growth, and yeah. people need to be aware of that. Yeah, I think just in um, in general, in this whole conversation we've had, I think at the end of the day, the essence of just being 
is probably really more profound than all of our doing. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, we talked about, um, you know, passion, obviously it's, it's your show. And sometimes in life we're trying to kind of connect that to an output, which will, and you talk about judgment a lot, which will be accepted by general society or segments of society. What if life could really be about us being who we are and who we're born to be and if whatever we're passionate about, just we exude that and and it doesn't need to look a certain way. It doesn't need to even be a career. It can be something that we just do for fun, you know. Mm. It could be me dancing in my living room again yeah. <laughs> or speaking like this, you know. I want to be um, speaking, you know, to thousands of people, but it's okay that I'm speaking to you could have thousands of listeners. I don't know, Craig, but hundreds or tens or one listener. And, and it's and okay. That's, that's that is okay, and that's exactly the approach that I think. If you're doing and you're looking to do this, people have looked at my numbers, and I don't have a lot of numbers. I must say, I've only just started, but and not mm. that that worries. That one, an audience of one person for yeah. me is still an audience. Mm. But interestingly, I might have 250 views or 300 views of something or downloads or whatever. And people go, oh, that's not a big number. And I say, well, you throw those people into a room mm. and tell me that's not a big number. Yeah, exactly. If you were standing context, up, right? Yeah, context. Mm. If you were standing in front of 250 people telling them this, yeah. would you say that's not a big number? Right. So whose perspective? Yeah. So for me, one's you and I can have a conversation. I'll enjoy the conversation. Yeah. And if we're an audience to each other's conversation, yeah. we gain something from it. That's it. That's the value. It's yeah. the value to that one person that got yeah. value out of it. So that's, again, judgment. Like mm. to sit in judgment of numbers. And, and this is what leadership, and you talk about leadership. Unfortunately, leaders are forced to project and fulfill numbers and quotas. And yeah. they're looking at that. And yeah. that may be where we leave it is that what you're trying to do is say, leaders need to understand that there is a different number and the number is the value of the employee. Yep, spot on. So Melissa helped. I really appreciate the time that you've devoted to me and my audience today Mm -hmm. in sharing your passion. And I'll put information in the description below for those people that are wanting more help and mentoring in this space. Mm. But I really do appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it as well. I hope you liked this episode. If you did, please give it a thumbs up and feel free to comment. If you haven't yet subscribed, hit the subscribe button and the notification bell to be advised of new interviews when they're uploaded. I hope you join us again sometime. Catch you later.